way we grow and produce food is ever-changing, shaped by consumers and the climate in which we live and farm. Research at all points of our food system is essential for continuously improving food's journey from farm to table. The Manitoba Agriculture and Food Knowledge Exchange explores timely research innovations and applications that make our food system better than ever. Join us for today's podcast. Over half a million pigs called this winter due to deadly disease. Highly contagious virus popping up in show pigs. The deadly pig virus that's proving difficult to beat. These are just some of the headlines we are seeing around the world. With pig production alone worth approximately $1 billion to Manitoba, the potential of disease outbreaks in the swine industry is a big concern. This got me thinking, what do we really know about disease transmission in pigs anyways? My name is Vaughn Doan and I will be your host for today's podcast. I'm an agri-resource engineer with Manitoba Agriculture and Resource Development and today I have a couple of people who will shed some light on the transmission of disease in the swine industry, specifically airborne diseases. I have with me Dr. Zhang who is a professor in the Department of Biosystems Engineering. He focuses on animal environments. Hi Dr. Zhang. Hi Vaughn, nice talking to you. It's nice to see you Dr. Zhang. For those listeners out there, Dr. Zhang was actually one of my profs when I did my engineering degree way back when. I also have with me Amy Law. She is a PhD candidate doing her research on airborne transmission of animal diseases. Hi Amy, welcome to the show. Hi Vaughn, nice to see you today. It's good to have you both here. So why don't we just dive into it? There appears to be a plethora of diseases in the swine industry. Which types of diseases are we most concerned with in Manitoba? So there are a few pig diseases that we are concerned about here in Manitoba. One of them is porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome virus, or PERS, which has been around since the early 90s. It is associated with both reproductive failure and respiratory disease, with more severe disease occurring in younger pigs. Because of this, it causes annual profit losses due to reduced performance of herds. Another important disease is porcine epidemic diarrhea virus, or PED, which arrived in Canada around 2015. So this disease causes vomiting, watery diarrhea, dehydration, and reduced growth. It is also more severe in nursing pigs and less so in grower finisher pigs. Lastly, there's another important disease that's been spreading across Europe and Asia, it is called African Swine Fever Virus, or ASF, and it has not yet entered North America, but we are definitely on the watch for it. So what it does is it causes fever, internal bleeding, and can lead to very high death rates. Dr. Zeng, do you I, have anything yeah. to add? I'd like to add one more disease to your list. That is the foot and the mouth disease, or MFD. Although Canada has been uh, FMD-free since the last uh, outbreak in uh, 1952, MFD is still considered one of the most important animal diseases globally. The FMD virus could spread as far as 250 kilometers by winds under certain weather conditions. I guess we never know when it's going to knock on our door again. Thanks for clarifying the what, the, the types of diseases. Let's move on to the how. How can these diseases be transmitted? There are three routes of uh, animal disease transmission, that is direct contact, indirect contact, and airborne. Direct contact is the most possible route of uh, transmission within the herd when pigs are in direct contact with each other. 
Okay, so let's pretend I'm a pig and you're a pig and we're both in a pen together and we rub shoulders. Would that be considered direct contact? Absolutely right. Uh, pigs do rub shoulders literally with each other in a pen. When in direct contact, viruses can be transmitted through uh, excretions and uh, secretions such as uh, saliva, urine, blood, and milk. Indirect contact, uh, contact transmission occurs when healthy animals touch contaminated surfaces or objects, such as a feeder, your clothes, or transport trucks, or through vectors as uh, flies. Pretending I'm still a pig here, if I'm a healthy pig and a worker comes into my pen with contaminated boots and I end up touching their boot, can I potentially become infected? Yes, absolutely. This is often called uh, fomite uh, transmission. Oh, I've never heard of fomite transmission. So in this case, the boot would be considered the fomite because it's the object that could be contaminated with the infectious agents and serve in their transmission? That's right. Okay, so now we know direct, we know indirect. Let's move on to the third route of transmission mentioned. What is airborne transmission? Well, airborne transmission is the situation when uh, disease pathogens uh, become airborne, move with air currents, and inhaled by healthy animals. Disease pathogens rarely float in air by themselves. They attach themselves to aerosols, which are tiny, solid, and liquid uh, particles suspended in the air, typically with a size smaller than 5 micrometers. 5 micrometers. Hmm. Uh, can you describe to our listeners what that even looks like? Uh, it's about one-tenth of the diameter of uh, human hair, uh, not visible to the naked eye. Well, I'm looking at my hair right now, and that's pretty tiny. Uh, yes, very tiny. You can see your hair with your eyes, but not the small aerosols attached to your hair. The simplest examples of aerosols are fine dust particles and very small water particles from uh, sneeze. When you're talking about water particles, does that include water droplets? Is there a difference? Uh, yes or no. Both droplets and aerosols are particles. Uh, droplets are large in size and do not stay in the air for a long time, while aerosols are smaller and can, su can be suspended in air for a long time. Aerosols in pig barns are typically from a wasted feed, shedding of the dead skin cells, dried feces, and animal sneeze and coughs. Thanks for that. I do have an understanding of aerosols now, but I'm still a little fuzzy on how exactly airborne transmission occurs. Airborne transmission involves three steps. Step one, aerosols carrying disease pathogens are directly expelled from the respiratory systems of animals or from uh, dried uh, fecal materials, or from accumulated uh, dust on various uh, surfaces. Step two, aerosolized uh, pathogens move with air currents. And step three, aerosolized pathogens may be inhaled by healthy animals to cause infection, or settle on surfaces objects which may be touched or licked by healthy animals to cause infection. Okay, last scenario here with me being a pig. I'm a pig, I'm still in my pen here. If a feed truck drives into the yard and has some contaminated dust on it, and the wind blows this dust from the truck into the barn, and I breathe in this dusty air, I could possibly get infected via aerosol transmission? That's correct. What if this contaminated dust that was carried into the barn landed on my waterer and I licked it? Would this also be transmission by aerosol? Yeah, so since it is 
difficult to differentiate between infection caused by direct inhalation of aerosols or from infection caused by contacting objects that were contaminated with settled aerosols, we will refer to both causes of infection as airborne transmission in this podcast. Thinking about where we are today, COVID is a disease that most of us know something about. Just to put things into context, can you explain to us if COVID is transmitted directly, indirectly, or airborne? So COVID is caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus or the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it can be transmitted by all three routes. So at the beginning of the pandemic, most people thought that COVID was transmitted only by direct or indirect contact. Ah, okay. So that's why there is so much focus on washing your hands. Yes. So in the beginning, we were very focused on washing our hands, using hand sanitizers and using cleaners. But new evidence has shown that the virus is also airborne transmissible. So while washing our hands reduces a chance of indirect transmission through contaminated objects, wearing masks protects us from inhaling aerosolized viruses and from airborne transmission of COVID. I also would like to add, of the three routes of uh, disease transmission, airborne transmission is mostly underappreciated largely because we do not fully understand the airborne transmission processes. Even for many human diseases that has been studied extensively, airborne transmission is still elusive. In the context of uh, pick operations, few current biosecurity measures are specific for preventing airborne transmission, and solutions are generally expensive. Which diseases in the swine industry are considered transmissible by aerosol then? That's a really great question. So there's a lot of scientific evidence showing that foot and mouth disease virus and porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome virus can transmit by aerosol or by aerosol transmission over long distances from building to building or from herd to herd. There is some scientific evidence showing that PED or porcine epidemic diarrhea virus and African swine fever virus can be transmitted by aerosol within a room from infected pigs to uninfected pigs that were physically distanced from one another. But we are still in need of more research about whether or not PED and ASF can be transmitted over long distances from herd to herd or building to building. Yes, we still need to do more research to find out uh, any other bacteria or virus uh, pathogens can be transmitted by aerosols. Amy, you mentioned transmission by aerosol over long distances. Can you clarify how far the pathogen can travel? That really depends. So one of the important factors that affects the distance that pathogens can travel is weather. And so this includes wind, temperature, and humidity. So in terms of how far it can travel, it can also affect how concentrated it'll be after it travels. So for example, if it moves as a very concentrated plume or whether it spreads and scatters over a large area downwind. How far exactly are we talking though? Is it 100 meters? Is it a kilometer? Is it 50 kilometers? It also depends. So let me name some studies to kind of provide some context. So for example, foot and mouth disease was introduced into a new region 
because it carried in the wind over a very long distance, but this is considered a very rare event. There was also another study in which air samples were collected downwind of an infected farm, and PERS was found in these air samples up to 9 kilometers downwind of that farm. There was also another study in which air samples were collected in four different swine-dense regions with 22, 99 neighboring farms within a 10-kilometer area, and the researchers were able to capture 8 to 14 different PERS types per location. So it really depends on case-by-case case and how far these viruses can travel in the wind. So we talked about the wind factor. What about temperature? Does temperature affect aerosol transmission? That's a really great question. So temperature is very important, and generally viruses tend to survive for shorter periods of time the warmer it is. For example, a virus is more likely to survive at zero degrees Celsius than at room temperature. How high of a temperature can viruses survive in? So generally, viruses survive for less time as the temperature gets warmer. But I'll give a specific example. So in one study, PERS aerosols were sampled in, a, in the air, and it showed that at 41 degrees Celsius, it had a half-life of five minutes. And by half-life, I mean the amount of time that it took for half of that virus to die. So five minutes isn't very long at 41 degrees Celsius. No, it isn't very long. You did mention warm temperatures. What about cold temperatures? We know Manitoba gets quite frigid. Are viruses able to survive extreme cold? There hasn't been much research on the survival of animal viruses in cold air in aerosols. But I would imagine that they would stay alive for longer periods of time than they would in the summer. Another thing is that winter air is, tends to be very dry as well, and survival of viruses is also linked to the humidity of air. For example, PERS virus, PED, and ASF are all known as envelope viruses, and generally envelope viruses survive better in low humidity conditions. Another example is foot and mouth disease virus is a non-envelope virus, and generally non-envelope viruses survive better in higher humidity conditions. Thanks, Amy. I feel I have a general understanding of disease transmission in the swine industry. Are there any practical methods or biosecurity measures that could be used to decrease airborne transmission? For example, humans with the COVID, right, we can wear masks, but I think it would be pretty hard to get pigs to wear a mask. I totally agree. Pigs are not smart enough to wear masks, or we can spend a lot of time to train them to wear masks. They probably would enjoy chewing masks instead of wearing them. However, we can actually put a big mask on a facility, which is called filter. Uh, many studies have shown that uh, installing air filtration system can reduce the risk of new introduction of diseases. When use air filters, keep in mind the filter efficiency is critical, similar to choosing a face mask for COVID-19. You can use an N95 mask, which has a 95% efficiency for 0.3 micron particles. Or you can actually put a bandana over your nose, which is going to give you probably up to 50% of efficiency. So the filter efficiency is important, but it also changes or decreases with the smaller particles. Uh, filters used in animal facilities typically have uh, efficiency between 75-95% for particles uh, in the range of uh, 0.3 to 1 micrometers. If high efficiency are required, 
HIPAA filters can be used, which can remove 99.97% particles as small as 0 0.03 micrometers. It should also be noted, generally speaking, the higher the filtration efficiency, the more powerful fans are needed to pull the air through the filter. Right, so when we're talking about HEPA filters, HEPA stands for? High Efficiency Particulate Air Filter. It's defined by the U.S. Uh, Department of uh, Energy. Right, and then since aerosols carrying disease pathogens are within this range, we are actually able to filter them out and thus prevent transmission. Yes, you're right. I'd also like to add that filtration using HEPA filters can be expensive to implement, so it is more worth it in a region that is very populated with pig barns, as these barns are more at risk of airborne transmission. Amy, is it the cost of the filter that is expensive, or is it the need to retrofit your existing ventilation? Both of them. The cost of HEPA filters is expensive, and these filters need to be replaced from time to time. And also I want to add, you know, filtration system can affect your ventilation system. <laughs> in which way does it affect your ventilation system? In a good way or a bad way? Uh, in a bad way. In particular, if you use the existing ventilation fans, adding filter could actually reduce your airflow rate, which is not a good thing. So make sure your ventilation fans are capable of overcoming the pressure drops through the filters. If not, adding booster fans is an option. What about dust control measures? Are there any out there that would be helpful? Uh, yes, to some extent, because dust is a carrier of pathogens. Removing dust inside the barn can reduce the release of pathogens from infected facility, thus reducing the spread of the disease to the neighboring facilities in the area. Whatever the strategy or technology is used for dust control, removing small particles, like less than uh, 10 micrometers, is very critical, and it's also very expensive and challenging. So many strategies and technologies uh, have been used for res or researched for dust control in swine facilities, such as good housekeeping to uh, keep the barn clean, select the right feed, oil spray, air ionization, and filtration. What if the premise was already affected or if there was an outbreak? What measures should or could you take to prevent aerosol transmission? In this case, outdoor dust control may help reduce air the chance of airborne transmission of animal diseases. For example, animal and feed transport trucks can be sources of airborne pathogens. So during disease outbreaks, these trucks should plan their driving routes carefully to stay away from other animal facilities and not drive through areas with a high density of animal facilities. Also, shelter belts, such as installation of trees around farms, can help reduce dust spread. Uh, also, this fundamental principle here is once there's an outbreak, you have to follow the biosecurity or the emergency response protocol. But one proactive measure could be used is to filter or clean the exhaust air from an infected facility to actually protect the neighboring facilities. Conceptually, this could be achieved by using a mobile biocontainment system. What exactly is a biocontainment system? What does it look like? Uh, a conceptual picture in my mind, it's a, it's a modular filtration system sitting in a truck. Something similar to your home duct cleaning truck. So once you move the mobile unit uh, to the site, you can use uh, ducts to con uh, connect uh, the ventilation system to the filtration system. 
then you clean up all the aerosols before you discharge uh, the ventilation air to the environment. Oh, thanks for the picture, Dr. Zhang. It helps us get a glimpse of your vision. With that, I think that's all the questions I have for today. I did learn a lot from the both of you. I learned about direct transmission, indirect transmission, airborne transmission, as well as like weather plays a really big part in transmitting these diseases. Is there any last words or anything you want our listeners to know before we end the show? Oh yes, I would like to tell the listeners that there are many animal diseases that can be transmitted by aerosols or by airborne transmission, so both in short and long distances. However, our understanding of aerosol and airborne transmission is still limited. We still need to do much more research in the area. However, the transmission distance and possibility of transmission is affected by many factors, such as the type of pathogens and also the environmental conditions, such as wind, temperature, and humidity. I'd like to add, although airborne transmission is not the main route of uh, transmission of most animal diseases, it is a critical piece in managing disease spread. Airborne disease transmission is difficult to manage, and the very few current uh, biosecurity measures for swine operation are specific for preventing airborne transmission. Thank you both for sharing with us your wisdom on airborne transmission of diseases in the swine industry. Thank you, Vaughn, for hosting the podcast. Thank you, Vaughn, for having us. It was a great time. <laughs> it, yeah, it was a great time. This is Dr. Zhang and Amy Law from the Department of Biosystems Engineering and myself, Vaughn Doan, from Manitoba Agriculture and Resource Development. We want to thank you for joining us on this MAKE podcast. For more information on this podcast or any other Manitoba Agriculture and Food Knowledge Exchange podcast, go to makemanitoba.ca.